Sadie, of course, is the president of Recovering Hope Treatment Facility here in Mora and has done that since day one. And what is day one, Sadie? Tell us how far how far back you guys have been here now. We are coming up on our seventh anniversary. So wow. in August, we will have been open for seven uh, years. And so just a wild ride when I look and be like, it feels like yesterday. <laughs> and when when the facility was built, it's built back behind, just to clarify for folks who maybe aren't as familiar, if you know Mora, you have the frontage road there that kind of goes up by unclaimed freight and all that in American. And there's a road that goes back and tell me the name, I should know it. Roland Road. Roland Road. I should know that. And you just take Roland Road back and there's this nice big area there where they have the facility. And they built it all those years ago. And it's expanded in those seven years too, right? We have we started with 50 women and 30 children with just residential services and now we have 74 women and 30 children and an outpatient <laughs> clinic and mental health services and medication management and telehealth program and so we serve currently over 70 I want to say I was trying to think in my brain how many we have <laughs> but um, I think we have like 70 outpatient clients that seek substance use from all over the state of Minnesota so not even just our rural community uh, that we do have clients that come in person but we also have um, a lot of clients that telehealth in through other rural communities and different locations throughout the state. Yeah, it's the accessibility now. That's the one thing. And I think we really learned that from the whole COVID thing is that you can do a lot more with telehealth. And that's been the one kind of nice thing, I guess, that came out of that whole thing. And when I first started, I was like, there's no way this is going to work for group or for being able to like help and, and, you know, help people be accountable for everything that comes along with group. And there is an uh, in-person component that does get lost in translation, but also a lot of the people that attend telehealth wouldn't be able to access services. Exactly. I think sometimes people say, oh, it's the easy option and, you know, it's just, you know, it, you know, all the stuff that goes with it. But really, I think it opens doors, especially in rural communities, to be able to have access to services. Um, in rural communities, we rely on um, like Timberland trails here or other medical transportations. But with the workforce shortage, there's less and less availability for those Medicaid med rides or volunteer transportation. Um, and the increase in gas can make it hard on people that are seeking services. And so it provides an extra layer of being able to get to treatment, participate in treatment, and um, be able to get what they need. I will say that I do like either in-person or telehealth and not the combined. I always joke that when I was doing hybrid or combined groups, I'd have to like go to the chiropractor after because you're I'd be going to. back and forth. <laughs> but I have seen a lot of clients um, now that we're three years post starting all the telehealth stuff um, have three years success and really, yeah. really able to take what they needed from the group and, and be successful in their recovery. I'll tell you, having that option because there are – you don't you don't know exactly where someone's at as far as their mobility too and other issues if they have anxiety you know sometimes doing group is a harder thing for them coming to that location is what I'm saying so it's better to have the telehealth than not have anything at all because for some that would be the case for sure and we specialize in working with mothers and children. Um, for our residential services and I just can't imagine if I had a brand new newborn and especially in this winter that we've had oh, where it's okay I gotta pack up my baby get them in the car drive on some um, wild roads through wild snowstorms and get to group and then 
pack them all back up and come back. Yes. The anxiety with that, just in my experience as being a mom, like I I feel like if I was in that position, I'd be a telehealther. Absolutely. So it really has come forward and been a really good thing. Um, I want to make sure I let you, because I have something I want to ask Sadie about this morning, but is there anything else we wanted to touch on first, though? Um, not much. One of the things that we have coming up in June, which when you look outside and there's snow, I know, it's you're hard like, to believe. June? <laughs> yes, I just signed my kid up for swimming lessons on Friday day. Oh. I was like, I can't believe it's almost <laughs> summer. Um, but in June, we're going to be hosting an adolescent training. Um, I did an, an assessment the other day for a teenager that was looking for services and my heart broke. Um, I had proactively looked at some of the residential programs in case that's what the level of care that this person needed. And all the adolescent programs were like three months on a wait list or six months. So even if this person that came in and needed services for that level of care, that residential where you stay, I wouldn't have been able to help her for th- for three months. And to me, that's terrible. Um, we see programs shutting down. We see um, transportation as a barrier for adolescents. And so one of the things that we're going to be starting here over summer and the fall is an outpatient adolescent program um, that really brings in the component of the parents and having um, teenagers learn the same skill or teenagers and teenager parents or um, whoever has um, whoever the teenager is living with have those same skills and the same language around things. Um, so we're really excited about that. But with that, we had to train some of our staff to do uh, to work with adolescents. Sure. And we will be hosting a training here in June that will be free. And so if you're a provider, you work with teens, it'll be geared towards working with substance use teenagers. But at the same time, it'll be a really good knowledge. It's a four-day training. It's free for our community. And you can go to our website and click the events and the training and be able to register. We figured if we were bringing somebody in to do the training, we wanted to be able to make sure that we could get other providers sure. um, the education too because there's there's a need for it and we want to we want to help reduce that barrier for teens seeking care. Absolutely. And we'll talk that up in the months to come too and remind people about that. So um, what I just wanted to ask you about is in since the last time we chatted, so this happened maybe a couple weeks ago, but Narcan, of course, a prescription nasal spray that reverses opioid overdoses can now be sold over the counter. And I actually saved this article specifically knowing Sadie would be in. And I know that has to be good good news. Uh, they're talking about it could be available in big box chain stores, vending machines, supermarkets, convenience stores, gas stations, and even online retailers. That's a good thing for sure, Sadie. But, I mean, there's some barriers still. And, and will it, I would imagine... It still has to be in the right hands for the right people at the right time, right? Yep. Yeah, so there's a lot with that. Um, it has been proven. I've I've heard more news reports than ever. It really is a lifesaver. And the fact that you're not wrong, if you're not sure if somebody is having an overdose situation, um, it's still okay to give them this. You're better to err on that side than not, right? For sure. And explain a little bit how it works, Sadie, can you? So one of the things with um, naloxone or the name brand is Narcan is that having it in the event of an overdose is going to be able to help the person that you're with. And so the barrier is if you're using a loan and you start to have an overdose, you may or may not be able to administer Narcan yourself. 
However, if a lot of people aren't using alone, they might be using in a group of people or they might be using with a friend or have somebody in the home. So I I really like to say if you have a, a loved one that's living in your home or spends time in your home, have a have a naloxone kit available because if you um, are knocking on the door and you're like, hey, dinner's ready or hey, I've got a question for you and you don't get a response, those of you that live with opiate addicts get that sinking feeling, right? They mm-hmm. might be sleeping, but what's going on? And when you open that door and you find somebody unresponsive, um, like Robin said, is that it, even if it's not an o- opiate overdose, it doesn't do any harm to be able to administer it. It's kind of like a... a it puts your body in immediate withdrawal. To um, there's this video and it has like a, a brain. I'm not a sciency person. It has like a, <laughs> a, a, a opiate receptor or a circle kind of bouncing around on a brain receptor, and then the naloxone comes in and knocks it off, and then it okay. holds that space so that your brain and body isn't responding to the opiates. However, the reason why you see um, in news reports multiple people or people needing multiple doses is because if you don't can uh, knock it off the first time you got to keep knocking it off until it comes off and then you also want to make sure that you are calling emergency services because what can happen is that once that bond starts to weaken after time that opiate receptor might still be in this system and then that knocks the naloxone off and the overdose can in a sense, restart. And again, I'm not a medical person, but if you go to the Steve Rumler Foundation, they have really great education and you can sign up for training and find out a little bit more about the opiate response and um, how to administer naloxone and how to get it currently. Um one of the downfalls, there's right with anything that's passed in legislation, there's pros and there's cons. And one thing that can happen, and those of you that might take <clears throat> like over-the-counter allergy medicine or when Claritin became over-the-counter, it did a lot of great in the accessibility. Like you don't have to necessarily have that doctor's appointment or you don't need to um, go into the clinic. If you run out, you can pick it up like you would with Tylenol and ibuprofen. But those of you that maybe take ibuprofen regularly, um, it's not covered by your insurance, right? It's one of those medications that you're taking at cost. And depending on your insurance plan, that could be a good or a bad thing right. if you can find out what the price of the medication is over the counter. And it sounds like Robin had an article that said out in New York City, naloxone was $98. So yes, it's over the counter and that can be an unattainable um, cost to it. <clears throat> so with insurance right now, if you have Medicaid um, or low prescription copay, then it's probably it might be a disadvantage for you for it to be over the counter. However, it allows for um, schools to have it without having to have policies and jump through hoops. It allows for um, treatment centers like ourselves to be able to have access to without having to purchase a nasal kit. I think when we the last time we purchased a nasal kit was like $850 without a prescription um, because we you know, we just wanted to have it on hand. And so it comes becomes more and more accessible in that sense where they've put put the availability just to have it like you would in a first aid kit or like you could put it with your AED in the buildings that you have. And I know there's been a lot of talk and a little controversy around whether or not you have it in the school, but I think in the last month there I saw in the news there was three schools that responded to an overdose in Minnesota and where they had to wait for the EMTs to administer the naloxone. And as you know, when you're un conscious or unresponsive every second counts. Absolutely. So I do see 
many good things, um, and obviously it's a huge problem, unfortunately, and that's why they tried to make this Narcan uh, naloxone more available to folks. So we'll see how this all goes forward. And as Sadie mentioned, yeah, there is a cost yet. Uh, for some, some there will be some coverage, and I hope in time that'll become more affordable so that it can be as available as, like you said, you know, just have it on hand uh, and, and deal with it if something comes up. Sadie, is there anything else we needed to touch on this morning, my dear? Um, I was trying to think. I was, I don't believe so. I think other than if you need, um, if you're looking for treatment services or unsure kind of what that might look like for you, I encourage you just to reach out to Recovering Hope. You can come in and do what's called a substance use assessment. You can talk to a drug and alcohol counselor about what different options are. It doesn't commit you. I think sometimes there's a fear like if I go talk to them, they're going to go make me go away right. for 30 days. Sure. Is that it really is about client choice and where where you feel like you want to um, find recovery or what recovery looks like to you and be able to just get you some supports. There's times where I have people come in that are like, I know I need treatment or I know I need to do something. I'm just not ready yet. And I'm at least able to give them some naloxone and fentanyl test strips when they leave the door um, and give some education around um, what does an opiate overdose look like and how how do you help um what we're seeing more and more too is just the need for like an individual therapist, someone to talk to. There's a lot of grief around um, substance use, whether your loved one's living or not, um, because you lose the idea of who you think somebody was, right? You love the person that you that you knew growing growing up if they're your child, right? You you get that that sweet and compassionate inside, but what you see with when you interact with that person when they're in the depths of addiction is not that person. Um, and so you lose kind of the the hopes and dreams that you have with somebody. Um, when there is somebody that passes away in your family system, you lose the what could have been, right? Like what if we would have done this or the shoulda, the woulda, and the couldas. And mm-hmm. I always tell my teenagers, like – Stop shooting on yourself, right? Like, <laughs> that's um, right. It's my favorite little, you know, that's a 13 year old told me that once because I was like, oh, these shoulda, woulda, couldas. And he's like, stop shooting on yourself. And I, it, it was one of those moments where I was like, I needed to hear that. That should um, be on a t shirt. That's yeah. awesome. And so, you know, even if you're not sure how to navigate the world outside of us, I think there's a lot of external things. There's a lot of things in the news is just to be able to to step back and find someone neutral, to be able to to learn some coping skills, some more tools for your toolbox on just how to navigate the world around you. Um, and all you have to do is reach out to 844-314-4673. And the website, again, recoveringhope.life, correct? Yep. Like there you live go. your best life. Absolutely. And Sadie is a great person to touch base with, and she has such a wonderful crew. Don't put something off. You know, if you have that inkling, if you have that feeling, act on it and help yourself out or a family member. Sadie, as always, it's a pleasure, my dear. I appreciate your time. And Sadie and I will catch up next month, the third Monday of the month. So make plans there. 